presents Midnight Chats. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Rory. And I'm Jay. And this is Midnight Chats, an Octavigate companion show where we sit down with your favorite paranormal authors, investigators, and researchers to have a chat about their work, the phenomenon, and all the strangeness in between. On this episode, we are joined by author, police officer, and Bigfoot investigator, Larry Beans Baxter. Yes, and we talked about Bigfoot. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was definitely a different flavor of Bigfoot from our conversation with Joshua Cutchin. Uh, oh yeah, Beans comes at it from a definitely more flesh and blood angle, which was fascinating to hear. Yeah, my interpretation would be that he is uh, flesh and blood with an open mind. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's fascinating. It, it I think it is. Uh, it's fun to talk to people who are on that side because we tend towards the strange. Yeah, and. Uh, Quite frankly, I mean, he makes a lot of sense. It is a good point that uh, we tend to want for things to be weirder than they necessarily have to be. No, absolutely. And he said it many times, like, that he's very grounded, and he is, and he shows. And, yeah. it, and it shows, you know? Absolutely. I, I had a lot of fun for this. I think you guys at home will, too. So we ready to just let him listen to it? Yeah. All right. All right, let's go. Yay. the line with Larry Beans Baxter. Beans, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. All right. So our first question is one that we like to ask all our guests as we are a book club, uh, which is what are you reading and what sort of books do you tend to gravitate towards? Oh, geez. Uh, I read a lot of Bigfoot books. Uh, I love anything to do with uh, Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest or Alaska. Raincoat Sasquatch is probably my favorite uh, I've read it probably more than any of the others. Um, that's that's as far as pretty much nonfiction. You know, it's Bigfoot, cryptids, a um, little bit of history stuff here and there. Uh, nonfiction, uh, I'll read uh, a lot of uh, adventure kind of books, the Jack Reacher series, James Reese series, stuff like that, uh, military theme stuff, because I did spend some time in the military. I kind of gravitate toward that kind of stuff. Very cool. Yeah, since reading your book, I have to admit, I, I did add Ranko Sasquatch to my must-read list, which unfortunately is now several miles long, but I eventually <laughs> will get there. I understand. I've got a death pile of books, too, that I'll probably never get to. <laughs> <laughs> Just bury me with them. Just fill the coffin up, line it with it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it then. Yep. All right. So uh, moving into your specific work uh, regarding Bigfoot. When we were reading your book, and as well as other books related to Bigfoot, uh, one thing about the Bigfoot phenomenon that's always interested us is how widespread and varied it seems to be, with many states or even countries or even specific towns seeming to have their own variant on the theme. Now, our question is, I mean, from your perspective and the research you've done, do you think that those various stories represent genuine subspecies of Bigfoot, or do you see cryptids such as like the Yeti or the Skunk Ape to be something wholly different? Well, well, let me get my disclaimer. 
uh, and I'll be the only Bigfoot person you're ever going to hear say this. I don't know anything about Bigfoot. Uh, <laughs> it's it's all theory, speculation, and based on my experiences and uh, training. Uh, I mean, that's what it is. Nobody knows anything. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's it's a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, they're seen pretty much everywhere, or there's a history of them, you know, that you can go back and look at. Uh, maybe they're not there now, but maybe something similar to it was there before. Uh, I think they're probably, at this point, I think they have probably, due to geographic isolation, I think they have started to develop different traits in different areas, like down south with a skunk ape and, and such. I do think they would be probably considered at this point a different subspecies from like what we have up here in Alaska. Okay. Mm. Now, I I mean, one of the big questions when you start looking into Bigfoot research, uh, which is very similar to something you see in like the, say the UFO community is the difference between uh, materialist flesh and blood nuts and bolts type of perspectives and the uh, mystical supernatural views of the, of the creatures. Where do you fall on that divide? So I'm, I'm, I'm grounded. I'm a flesh and blood guy, but I'm not married to it. Um, you know, there's some, there's some things about it that just can't necessarily at this point be explained. Um, you know, I say I'm grounded in flesh and blood, but really, I mean, there's, as of right now, we don't have vampires and werewolves, you know, that we can study or, you know, there's nothing, Mm -hmm. we can't say, okay, this is a ghost or that's, you know, not a ghost. That's a, a banshee or whatever. Like there's no, there's no type specimen for any of that stuff. Um, so right now, just because I've never really experienced anything paranormal, and that's my frame of reference, I have to go with its flesh and blood, and it's just a super elusive and rare, and we can get into that a little bit later, super elusive and rare species that we just haven't got lucky enough to catch up with yet. And for what, you know, there's a lot of reasons as to why that might be. Um, uh, you know, for every excuse that you can come up with you know why they're not real you can come up with just as many excuses as that they are real and you know there's a lot of valid points to be made um you know the body one is is a is the one that always comes up and you know i've spent a lot of times in the woods i live in alaska which arguably has more bears than any place else and i've never stumbled upon a dead bear so that's a fair point uh, it, i know people have but i have not uh, it's something that you often hear is that uh, nature takes care care of bodies much faster than we anticipate it to. Oh, nature is so efficient, so efficient with that kind of stuff. Now, I, I'm curious. I mean, how much of that viewpoint is informed by your police work in the sense of, I mean, unfortunate situations where someone ends up dead out there, how quickly the crime scene becomes contaminated by nature? Oh, it's almost, I mean, instantly. If you're outside, it's instantly. Um, you know, the minute that, uh, that you stop moving, things start moving on you. And if you don't move for long enough, they're going to move in you and they're going to start eating you and laying eggs and reproducing. And, uh, you know, if you're familiar with forensic, um, investigation, you can know they can take the, the eggs of the, the larva and bugs and stuff they find on a dead body. And they can say, well, this takes X amount of time to develop. So he's been dead at least this long. Uh, you know, uh, so yeah, I mean, nature is, is super efficient with that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you have rodents and stuff that'll come along, will gnaw on the bones, the bones will go away. Uh, 
Um, you know, there, there's a lot of mysterious disappearances and people that just seem to, you know, disappear into thin air. And uh, it's, you know, there, there's a lot of grounded, normal reasons as to why that can happen that, you know, you don't have to bring aliens or fae or stuff like that into it uh, quite yet. You know, there, there's a lot of efficient uh, scavengers out there and, and just things that eat anything they can find and they'll carry away what they can't eat and they'll cache it and store it and let it rot a little bit. So bears will do that too. Bears will carry something away and, and stash it somewhere and then let it get good and, and rotted. And then they'll start eating on it. Mm. Grossest pantry imaginable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now out of curiosity there, I mean, how much do you think your police work and your police training has informed, I guess your viewpoint on the phenomenon and how you go about looking into it? Well, it, it definitely keeps me grounded. It keeps me more uh, on the um, into the real world, I guess you would say, without having to jump to uh, extraterrestrial or paranormal uh, explanations for things. Uh, you know, I've seen some crime scenes that just, you know, when you first walk in, you're like, you know, something something really strange happened here. But then as you kind of get to look in and peel away the layers, and okay, well, this is why that is, and that's why that is, and okay, it's starting to make sense a little bit more, or you get more information and you're like, oh, okay, the gentleman or the woman or whoever the deceased is had this medical problem or this issue or, you know, this problem. And that, that explains why this is that way. And a lot of times you just have to be patient and just gather as much information as you can. Uh, and, you know, just follow, you have to follow the facts. You can't just make stuff up. And um, that, that's kind of where that, I try and approach Bigfoot the same way is like, okay, I'm just going to work with what I have. It's good to make, it's good to have theories and hypothesis and speculation, but you can't say this is, this happened because of that. If you don't know. Right. Need the evidence to back it up. Exactly. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, right, real quick before we go into our next question, I also just wanted to point out, I think Squatch Cop is the best book title I've seen in over <laughs> a year and a half of doing the show. I just had to let you know that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, as soon as I saw that, I started laughing, and I don't think I stopped for several minutes. <laughs> There's just something viscerally punchy about it. Squatch Detective was taken. Oh. Uh, yeah. There's a, Steve Coles is a Squatch Detective, and I wanted, I wanted something, you know, the integrated law enforcement and, and, and Bigfoot research. And I came up with Squatch Cop and my wife, she's so funny. Cause she can't, she calls it cop squatch. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that sounds too much. Like, that sounds too much like hopscotch. Yeah. Or hopscotch. You gotta I, call hopscotch, it. Yeah. Well, it, it also cop. paints the image less that you mm -hmm. are a cop looking into Sasquatch and more that it is a Sasquatch police officer, which objectively would be incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wish I could draw. There's a, there's a comic book in there somewhere. <laughs> All right. Now, Going into, I suppose, uh, your more into your Bigfoot research, if someone out there was to start looking for Bigfoot on their own, what's the ideal habitat look like? What do you think would be necessary to support a functional population of these things? Well, one of the things I look for is, you know, you can't just throw a, a dart at a map and say, I'm going to look there. Um, one of the biggest indicators is just a history of reports and encounters. Uh, have people seen them there before? You know, how many reports have come out of there? You know, like, what are, are they credible? Uh, you know, is that area, does, does it sustain other large animals, deer, moose, bear, what, you know, what have you? Uh, you know, those are just some factors you have to take into account before you just, 
you know, there, if you listen to a lot of uh, <clears throat> cryptid media out there, they'll have you believe in that, you know, Bigfoot, there's a Bigfoot in every green strip, you know, in every suburb in, in, in the country. And uh, like I was saying earlier, I think these things are very, very rare. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the cryptid, I like to call it cryptid pasta huh. because a lot of it's just scary stories and, and people love the scary stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, but a lot of them, unfortunately, just aren't true. Um, and they'll have you thinking that, you know, there's a Bigfoot in, in every picture that has a tree in it, you know, with the, the red circles around every shadow. I mean, you get the same kind of, uh, like, jumping at shadows almost with UFOs. You get it with all, all of these things. And, and it comes back to, and a lot of it is that need, that want to, like, want to believe, want to see this, especially if you're involved in the community. The more that you can try and, you know, show off whatever it might be, the more you're going to get other people interested, I guess, you know, instead of just yeah. looking for the hard, uh, like facts of it all. Well, and, uh, I think, uh, I think also ghosts that is, oh, yeah. the ghost community it's is very the, guilty of that. Yeah, I've, I don't know how many one. pictures of, of photo smudges I've spent hours of my life staring at. Oh yeah. And I mean, yeah. all the ghost shows are guilty of that too. So, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a big red flag too, is if somebody goes out and they've, something happens every single time that they right. go out or they find something, uh, you know, it's it, it, looking for Bigfoot's a lot like police work. It's a lot of, a lot of downtime and a lot of boring, nothing. And then, you know, a couple of minutes of extreme terror. Right. Right. Now, I'm curious, uh, in all your outings, I mean, I know in the book you mentioned uh, hearing those sounds when you were hiking with your wife, and there were a couple experiences in that book that you were around uh, when you were in Port Chatham. Have you ever had a direct, you know, you saw it with your own eyes? Not with my own eyes. I think I've probably saw one through that FLIR on Port Chatham. I don't, I have no idea what else that could have been, um, but I've had... I know I've been close to them, uh, like in Washington and, and some other places. And in fact, I think I'm I'm pretty confident I've probably like looked over one and didn't see it. Like mm. it was it was camouflaged, it was laying down, or it was hiding, or or something. Uh, but I can't say that I've ever got a really good visual uh, sighting under my belt. You know, I I was actually thinking about that when we were something like that when we were reading uh, your book number of years ago, I was at Hanging Lake in Colorado and I was hiking back over some rocks and I suddenly kind of you know, got this bad feeling in my gut. And it wasn't really till I really looked around and studied the ground I had been walking on and seen that I saw like two feet away from me was a rattlesnake that had been just perfectly blended into the rock. And it just made me think how many times are there Bigfoot sightings, but people just don't notice. It just looks like a log or a rock or something like that. And you never think twice about it. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a friend that he was out one time and he, they were walking and he saw a burned out stump and he's like, well, that's weird. Cause there's, there's that one burned stump, but none of the other trees are burned, but oh, well, you know, and they continued on their hike, came back through a little bit later and it was gone. Huh. So I, to return to the uh, original question, I, I guess if you're looking at say a, a forest trying to determine if that'd be a good place where you might get a population of them. Are, what are you looking for? Are you looking for an ample food supply, uh, isolation? Are, are there any telltale signs that you would think would uh, eliminate a location from the running? Uh, well, I would think 
that uh, to eliminate a location from the running, I think one, it would depend on uh, like the history of, of encounters or sightings. If there was nothing that had come out of there, uh, if it's close to uh, civilization, uh, which, you know, that, that it's not, oh, that's too close to a house because people see them in their yards and stuff all the time. But uh, I think that's kind of a, a red flag for me if if I hear about like, oh, there's this one sighting and it happened, you know, like right here. And I look and it's in the middle of a of a uh, subdivision or something. You know, I, I'm not necessarily going to like completely rule that out, but it's probably going to go to the bottom of my pile. Uh, but yeah, food sources or lakes, you know, water sources, water, rivers, lakes. Uh, you know, are, is the area capable of sustaining large animals or the bear, you know, moose, um, what have you, deer, you know, is there something there that they can, uh, they can eat? Uh, what kind of, uh, plants grow in the area? Is there, uh, mushrooms? Uh, is there, you know, nut bearing trees? Like just what's, what's in there that they can eat? Uh, obviously I'm not going to look at, uh, an area that's just, you know, maybe has, uh, a few acres of trees and the rest of it's uh, a desert and be like, Oh yeah, there could be one there. you know, you got to look at an area that has um, abundant resources and just, uh, I don't know. It, it just uh, has to be able to sustain a, a large animal. Yeah, for an animal that size, the amount of food that they would have to intake, I imagine would be quite a lot. Yeah. But saying that, see, that's the thing people say that like, Oh, there's not enough calories in the woods. But then again, we don't know how their bodies process calories or energy. So just going off of biology as we know it, like in theory, assuming that it works even similar to like some other animals, it would need to intake a large amount at some point. If you didn't know anything about camels and you said, looked at a desert and you said, there's not enough water out there for the animal to live. That's a good point. Yeah, that's fair. Now, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors. I mean, hibernation, yada yada yada. There's a lot of different things that it could that yeah. could go into it for sure. I I, I guess so. One thing in your book though that uh we did talk about and we I'm we uh I know personally I greatly enjoyed being the uh, fiction elements, the two short stories you included in there about hypothetical encounters with uh with a Bigfoot. And obviously in those, those are played up as uh, horror short stories. And as a horror fan, I, I deeply appreciated those. Um, n- the question is, obviously, there is the suggestion there that uh, Bigfoot took those people, killed those people, or ate them. We don't know. Uh, my question is then, do, do you think that th- these creatures by their nature are predatory towards humans? Or is it more, we're another source of food, and if, they, if we happen to be in the area, they're going to go for it? I think that it's probably more of a of a situation. I think, again, my opinions. I I know nothing about Bigfoot. Of course, um, my opinion is is that they only mess with us unless it's an extreme situation or a protective situation. And a lot of people speculate that maybe if it was indeed Bigfoot that was being so aggressive around Port Chatham that caused people to go missing and caused people to die, uh, it might've been because of the massive amounts of fishing that was going on there. They were taking the natural resources. They were cutting down the trees to make the fish trap. And it was seen as a threat to the territory and to the food sources. Um, 
but yeah, I think probably more than 90% of the time, I think if they see people in the woods, they just turn around and go the other way. Uh, I think it's only in cases of extreme uh, either starvation or they're protecting young or, or something like that, that they get violent. Uh, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's very similar to logic to say bears. Uh, bears don't normally yeah. hunt us, but they sure have killed some people uh, when yeah, the situation absolutely. called it, for it. It's just like any other animal. It's gonna it's gonna protect its young, and it's gonna protect its food. Uh, otherwise, it's gonna just probably ignore you and and leave you alone because it doesn't want to expend the energy to mess with you. I mean, personally, that's comforting. I'd rather that be the case than you know they 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 love delicious man meat. Yeah. Oh, and you know, just like with people, I mean, there's, there's rogue people out there that, that do terrible things. There could certainly be, and there's terrible, there's rogue bears out there that, you know, they get a taste for humans or, you know, easy meal, especially older bears uh, that can't uh, hunt so well anymore. Um, the bear, I believe from, and I don't remember this a hundred percent, but I believe the, the bear that, uh, Eight, uh, that attacked Timothy Treadwell. I believe he was an older bear and uh, was maybe having some problems with his teeth. He couldn't uh, couldn't really eat as well he, as he used to. And uh, I believe that might have been one of the reasons behind why he was so aggressive towards uh, humans. So I, I suppose on that uh, on that idea, I mean, this this idea that some, there, some of the Sasquatch may have other motivating factors. One of the points of contention that we've sometimes seen in Bigfoot books is uh, questions around the intelligence of these animals. Uh, are we dealing with something that, you know, has a, a more animal level intelligence like a bear? Or is this something that is closer to a higher primate, uh, thinking like chimps, gorillas, even things like ravens, or maybe even close to a human intelligence? I guess based off what you've read and seen, what do you uh, what do you tend to think about their overall intelligence? I think it's when well, I think that's one of the reasons why we have such a hard time. Proving they exist or, or tracking them down is I, I don't think. I think it's something in between. It's something we haven't really encountered before. It's it's the basically the survival means and methods of an animal uh, combined with you know semi-human intelligence. And, and don't get me wrong, if you put if I left my laptop out in the woods, Bigfoot's not going to be able to come by and figure out how it works. <laughs> Great, but it's it's like that old saying, you know, if you judge the fish by its ability to climb a tree, you'd think it was an idiot. Um, but you know they're just on a different level uh, as far as as are, we are in the wood in the woods. Uh, you know they and they spend all their time in there. Um, you know I spent some time working as a corrections officer before I got into uh, police work, and there were inmates there that were in the segregation cells, <clears throat> and some of them uh, figured out how to open their cell doors. Uh, just, you know, and, and I mean, they didn't have any tools or anything. They just eventually, and we were talking about it one day and, and the, you know, the, the supervisor basically said like, they got nothing better to do and they've got all day to do it is to figure out how to, that's all they got to do is to figure out how to open that door. They spend 24 seven in there and it's the same with the woods. They spend 24 seven in the forest and we don't. So they're the master of that domain. They know how they know where every trail goes. They know wherever every creek goes and they know just how it works and they know how to use that to their advantage. Right. Now, I, I, on a related note, uh, one thing that's always fascinated us about Bigfoot phenomenon are reports of samurai chatter or other instances where it seems like there's some sort of Bigfoot language, uh, as some people have claimed are in the Sierra sounds. Do you think those sounds are evidence of Bigfoot having some sort of spoken uh, language between them? 
and put another way, do you think that the Sasquatch, uh, I mean, might have some sort of sort of thing as like a shared culture or maybe even a folklore about us? Personally, I think they probably do have some way of conveying information, um, whether, whether that's through speech or, or some other means. Uh, I mean, it certainly could be the samurai chatter. I, I am certainly not against that theory. I think it's probably a, a good one. Uh, but it seems like there's so many of them out there that like, oh, you know, he knew what my gun was, or as soon as I raised my gun up, it, it took off, or it, it seems like they know what certain things mean. They can correlate like, okay, that, that black stick is going to go boom and somebody's going to, going to die. So I'm going to get out of here. So it seems like they have some method of, of transferring knowledge and information, but at the same time, you know, Ravens do. You know, uh, other animals do as well. It's not, it's not something that's just ours, you know, uh, you know, even dogs, you know, I've seen dogs show other dogs how to do things. You know, you've seen the dog, the video where the guy's trying to give his two dogs a treat and one dog won't set and the other dog's like set down, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. so it's not unique to, to humans that, uh, we can, uh, transfer information and knowledge amongst ourselves. Uh, it's, it's certainly no stretch of the imagination to, to say that they could do it if they exist. Absolutely. Now, uh, we're going to venture into some stranger questions here. I hope you'll forgive us. One of the only other forays we've done into Bigfoot research on our main show is Joshua Cutchin and Timothy Renner's exploration of the more paranormal theories surrounding Sasquatch. It was called Where the Footprints End. Now, we already uh, asked where you fall on the flesh and blood versus supernatural side of the debate. However, I wanted to ask what you make of some of the reports of Sasquatch exhibiting what appear to be supernatural abilities. Things like when people see, for example, the predator shimmer of some sort of camouflaged entity or them disappearing or bulletproof Bigfoot, stuff like that. Well, I think <clears throat> now the the Glimmer Man shimmer thing, that, that's a little harder to explain. I don't know if maybe that's some kind of... Uh just a really good camouflage job or I, I, I tend to think that if that's a real thing, then that's something supernatural or something that's not, not necessarily, um, it's not just like an octopus can like turn his, uh, his color, uh, into his surroundings. I think it's something a little bit more sinister than that. The bulletproof Bigfoot. I've actually talked about this before. I kind of have a theory, like I was saying, we don't know anything about their physiology, how they work, how they process uh calories or anything like that um if you guys are familiar and being a law enforcement officer you know i've, I've had to wear kevlar and uh kevlar the way it works is the fabric the the it's really i mean it's just a really tightly woven fabric like that's the molecules are really close together so it prevents penetration and my theory, uh, as far as the bulletproof Bigfoot goes, is that maybe their muscle structure is so dense and so tightly knit, uh, maybe it takes quite a bit of force to to penetrate that with a bullet, uh, you know, and it, it could be, you know, yeah, maybe it goes in a little bit, but it doesn't penetrate any vital organs. Uh, you know, who knows? Like I said, it's all speculation, but I think that's a good grounded explanation for why people shoot these things and they don't uh, just immediately drop. Yeah, and we see stuff like that in nature as well. Thicker-skinned animals, elephants, rhinos, things like that. Not necessarily to the extent of bulletproof, but it's not a stretch of the imagination to to think that something could have even denser, you know, skin, right. muscle structure, things like that. 
Well, to reference the story in the book, I talk about the the big 600-pound black bear that was killed here in town by the police. Uh, that thing, it actually got shot twice. Uh, the first night, it got shot. Uh, the gentleman, the officer that shot it, he shot it with, a, I believe it was a Brennicky slug, a shotgun slug, which is a pretty, you don't want to get hit with one. Yeah, no. it's, it's a pretty, uh, the bear went down and the officer and his partner, you know, they took a moment. They were like, yeah, like high five, like we got him. And while they were high five and the bear jumped up and ran off. And uh, they were kind of left there like, oh, no, you know, like, yeah. now there's a wounded bear running around town. Well, a couple of days later, they got it. And uh, people had been giving that officer uh, guff saying, oh, you must have missed. You must have missed. There's, you know, that that slug should have done the job. Well, they ended up finally uh, killing the bear. And they gave it to we, we have it's called a charity. But basically what it is, it's a, like a roadkill list. You go, you fill it out. Somebody hits a moose or a bear or something. We, you know, the police department calls them, say, "Hey, it's your turn. Come get the meat." And they kind of, so the bear ended up getting donated to the next person on the roadkill list. And the officer that shot the the bear initially was like, "I want to go help this guy um, skin this bear because I want to know what's up with that slug." So they, he's in this dude's garage, and they're they're skinning the bear. And sure enough, right because he hit it like kind of under the arm paw or whatever leg and uh sure enough they they pull the the hide away and there's a hole in the hide and the slug is just sitting right there on the bear's uh torso it didn't penetrate so it went through the hide but didn't go through the skin and the bone and he he you know he pulled it out and he brought it back and he showed us and he's like see i didn't miss um, but I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, like you said, like you can shoot an animal sometimes and it just, maybe there's not enough powder in the bullet. Maybe it's the angle, maybe it's the windage. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into to ballistics and sometimes, you know, bullets, it's not like in the movies where you shoot something or somebody and they just fall, you know, dead or they fly through the air and, you know, there, there's a lot of factors to consider there. And sometimes when you shoot things, they don't always die. I, you know, personally, I got to say, I think supernatural bulletproof Bigfoot is just a little less scary than bulletproof Bigfoot who's bulletproof due to his amazing gains. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I mean, continuing along the uh, conversation of the, the weird things surrounding Bigfoot, another thing that we've read and encountered in several texts regarding Bigfoot is a lot of people noticed an overlap between areas where there are Bigfoot sightings and uh, UFO flaps. Uh, for example, there was a pretty famous uh, invasion, if you will, of a small town of Virginia back in the 60s. So uh, my question is, I guess, what do you make of that? Are, are you involved at all in the UFO side of things? Do you think that there might be something there or not? I, I loosely follow the, the UFO stuff. Um, I'm not really that I'm not as keenly in, interested in it as I am Bigfoot, but uh, as far as that goes, I think like, I mean, the abduction phenomenon has been a thing for for a long, long time, and uh, and I'm in no way saying this is like I'm not saying this is absolutely the reason for that. I'm I'm not. I'm just you know, like I said, this is all theories and speculation. Folks, don't write me angry emails telling me this is why that is. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that if if they're coming here, if aliens are coming here and they are abducting people and studying them, I think they would probably want to abduct and look at Sasquatch too. So that might be 
uh, at least some explanation for some of these things. You know, these people see a UFO and then they see a Bigfoot walking away. Well, maybe they just dropped him off because they got done probing him. I, I don't know, you know, but um, I think it's reasonable to expect that if they want to look at us and, and stick probes in us, they probably want to take a look at him, too. It just makes me think somewhere out there is an intergalactic prison, and every time someone sees a cryptid, it's soon abducted away, and we're losing <laughs> all of our cryptids to these aliens. Now, on the on the topic of cryptids, uh, we obviously know that Bigfoot is your one true love. However, as fellow uh, monster kids, we wanted to ask, I guess, how wide is your cryptid interest? Have you ever tried to chase down a chupacabra or a dogman, or have you only really appreciated that side of it from afar? Uh, pretty much just from afar. I do have uh, a little bit of an interest in lake monsters. There is a lake monster up here at uh, Lake Iliamna, which is across the bay from me. Uh, I'm I'm confident that that thing exists. I don't necessarily know that it's a monster. Maybe it's a giant sturgeon or something, but I'm confident there's something there. Uh, and same uh, with a lake here uh, not too far from me. I believe that there's probably something. It's a big lake. I think there's some weird things in there. And I've, I'm actually trying to uh, track down a guy. Uh, that had a sighting there of a plesiosaur type creature, but oh, wow. uh, I and I go to that lake a lot, and I go there to, uh, but I go there to Bigfoot, so I've never actually paid any attention to the water. I've always been looking in the woods. Now, I, I guess, what is it about Bigfoot that so attracts you compared to, you know, again, the other cryptids that are out there in the lore? Well, I think one is it probably has the most, the best chance of being real and being something that you know I can lay my eyes on. Um, and two, I just, I just find it fascinating that, uh, there's something out there that can just stay so well hidden and, and, but yet, you know, it just so close to us. I mean, what is it? Is it, uh, is it a species of homo? Is it, is it something else? Is it, you know, what is it? And it just, it just drives me crazy. I just want to know. Yeah. That was something that we actually speculated about, I think during, when we were talking about uh, where the footprint ends, that it could be like another off branch, like where we, you know, we were one branch of like, the Cro-Magnum or, or whatever at one point, like that maybe the Bigfoot is another branch that went off. Well, you, you know what I was thinking of recently? Because I was watching, um, oh, I don't remember the name of it, the Graham Hancock series where they talk about uh, ancient civilizations and how they were more advanced than what was previously believed. And it got me to thinking, like, maybe <clears throat> maybe there's always, throughout history, there's always been some kind of primitive creature in the background. And then the dominant humanoid species, they get too big for their britches or uh, some kind of extinction-level event happens. And then they go away, and then it's this species' turn. So maybe Bigfoot's just waiting in the wings, waiting for us to go away, and then they're going to have their turn. And there'll be something else, some offshoot from Bigfoot, some other primitive, you know, creature that that came from Bigfoot, and they'll be seeing them in their, you know, wooded areas after they get, you know, civilized and build houses and stuff. I mean, who knows? Yeah, Graham Hancock, that's the Atlantis guy, right? He wrote, uh, didn't he write books on uh, Atlantis and Lemuria and all that? Uh, sort of. We'll, we'll go into yeah. it later. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah, it's just, uh, that's been coming up like a lot for me recently. So as just, and I, that name was very recognizable to me. Now, I, I am curious uh, because this is a side of Bigfoot research that we have not gone into at all. Uh, but I mean, regarding 
I, regarding, I guess, the larger discussion of these could be another type of human that obviously introduces all sorts of questions about what sort of rights should they have, you know, things like that. What are we are we should we even be allowed to continue to encroach on their territory? And sometimes in the dredges of the Internet, I've encountered arguments that there is much like with UFOs, some nefarious government cover up of the existence of Bigfoot. Have you seen anything that seems reputable to you that would suggest that? Not really. And that's the thing, because for many years, I was the government. I was the man. Um, you know, nobody ever said, and I, when I left, when I retired, I, I was actually a pretty high rank in my organization. And never once did anybody ever set me down and say, okay, look, if somebody comes in and says they saw a Bigfoot, this is what you tell them. You tell them they saw a bear, or this is what you do, you know, you um, so I, and like I said, I can only speak to my experiences. Uh, and in my experience, there is no grand government cover up uh, of Bigfoot. Uh, I think a lot of the times people mistake, um, ignorance with malice. And it's, it's not that it's not that they, they're nefarious, uh, nefariously trying to cover it up is they don't care. <laughs> they don't, they don't, uh, the only thing that's kind of given me pause is I do know there were a couple of campgrounds down in Washington where there were some sightings and not too long after the sightings, the campgrounds got like closed for different reasons. Like, Oh, we're going to like fix this or we're going to do that. Uh, that seemed a little weird to me. And I had some friends, friends that I trust and, and believe, uh, tell me some stuff like that. But again, I don't necessarily think that's, uh, they're doing it for evil purposes. It might just be more like, oh, we can't, you know, once this rabbit gets out of the, the bag, we can't put it back in. So we're going to close this campground and maybe, or maybe it's for the protection of the people. I don't know, but I don't necessarily think it's like, you know, they're twirling their mustache, like, oh, <laughs> we have to, you know, we have, we have to keep this secret to, you know, from the, from the public, uh, you know, or else, uh, you know, civilization is going to break down and we'll lose control. Twirling the mustache, tying a Bigfoot, tying a Bigfoot up, putting him on the train tracks. <laughs> I, now, I, I am curious, during your time when you were in the police, I mean, did Bigfoot ever come up? Was this something you guys ever discussed working in the area you were? Uh, not really, because I, even though it is fairly rural, it's still, you know, a, a city. It's still, you know, an incorporated city. And, um, you know, the troopers probably hear more more of that kind of stuff because they work more in the native communities and more uh, in the in the bush as it's called in alaska uh i can't say that i ever really had i had one bigfoot call for service and i'm i'm like 100 percent certain it wasn't a real bigfoot uh there was a gentleman uh that was staying in one of the campgrounds here in the middle of town it's like next to the hospital there is a very wooded area behind the campground that goes up uh, basically it comes up to where i live back up uh, up here i live up on top of a mountain and um he was uh he called one night and said that bigfoot stole his potatoes out of his campsite and uh we got there and it had been raining and it was muddy and i looked around i didn't see any footprint my partner thought it was crazy that i actually like walked over and looked um but uh anyway there he had some substance abuse issues going on he had he had a lot of stuff going on so and then uh, i think uh, he later he told my partner and he's like yeah i've seen bigfoot and he said named off like half a dozen different states or something and my partner was like you need to start carrying a camera man <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, and on that topic, I mean, carrying a camera, I imagine for a moment that it actually happened. Imagine somebody caught the definitive Bigfoot evidence, whether that means they, they shot one or they caught video or they got an interview on Dateline with one. In your ideal world, I guess, what happens next? Is this something that we should be working with in terms of, like, say, conservation? Uh, where, what would you like to happen if we proved that they were real? Uh, yeah, I would like to see some steps taken to protect territory where they're thought to live and some stu- some money thrown at it so that we can actually get some boots on the ground, some qualified boots on the ground uh, for, for study. Uh, I, I would love to see them, you know, protected and I'd like to get some answers to like, what are they, you know, like, is it, is it some kind of weird looking bear? Is it a, is it a human? Is it, you know, a subspecies, a human or what, what is it? Yeah. Good answer. I liked that. Absolutely. Uh, Now, on the other side of it, away from truth, uh, it's no secret that within most fringe subjects, fraud is a serious and persistent issue. So when you're looking at anecdotal encounters or performing field research, what is your litmus test for detecting a fraud, and how prevalent would you say it is within the Bigfoot community? I think it's... uh... I think it's actually pretty prevalent nowadays, and I think the reason behind that is a lot of the the cryptid media, the the podcast, and you know, I have a podcast too. You know, don't don't get me wrong. Like <laughs> everybody's everybody's yeah. got a podcast or a show. Everybody's got a podcast. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think a lot of the the problems with with that with hoaxing and, and false reports comes from basically desperation for content anymore. It's like, oh, you know, I've got. I've got to put out a Patreon episode on Friday, uh, and and you know all I have is is this account that's probably not true, but you know I got to eat, so yeah. <laughs> we're going to interview this guy. Um, you know, I've actually if in Squatch Cop, I kind of talk about that a little bit, where I've I've listened to some uh, interviews uh, on podcasts and using you know to my interviewing skills, and I've kind of thought you know I don't think this is true. There's there's several signs of deception in this interview. And I've reached out to people, the podcast hosts, and be like, hey, I think this person was not telling the truth because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. And pretty much got like, yeah, eh, who knows? I don't know. Maybe not. So, you know, they're not too interested in telling the truth. They're more interested in producing content. Yeah. And I think you uh, hit the nail on the head there because I was uh, I was scrolling through TikTok the other day, you know, like you do, and uh, stumbled upon a, a video, like a, it was just like a short video about Bigfoot and it seemed rather interesting to me. So I clicked on the profile and I was like, okay, I'm going to scroll through what other things that they have because they were a Bigfoot, whatever. The third video I came upon was one that they were claiming was real and in the background was the Sierra Sounds. And I I recognized it immediately because I've listened to them. And, And because of that, I immediately discredited everything else that they were doing. Because I was like, I know that you you made this video up. So regardless of the truth of the other one, I can't believe you anymore because yeah. you're faking all these other videos. Yeah, and there, and some people's desperation to believe is so strong. It's almost like a religion. Yeah. Uh, there oh, was absolutely. a gentleman. That, there was a gentleman that had posted some pictures of a Bigfoot that was actually it was a ghillie suit. <laughs> And uh, I went back a little bit on his timeline, and I found pictures of him like posing in the ghillie suit, you know, like <laughs> look up, look at my new toy, you know, like in a building, you know. And um, I made a comment. I'm like, hey, look, here's some pictures of this guy in the same, you know, in the same ghillie suit, like a couple of weeks ago. Like, you know, this guy's not being truthful. And people were like, can you prove it's the same suit? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I can use my eyes, but... <laughs> I, so I, I have to ask, uh, the Patterson-Gimmel film, I know there's a lot of controversy about is it real, was it a suit? Where do you fall on that one? Personally, I believe it was real. Uh, there's a lot of pros and cons to it, uh, but I think if you really take an objective look to it, the pros outweigh the cons. Uh, you know, there's the the guy, I think it, Bob Hieronymus or whatever that said he was wearing a suit. And if you li- if you really dig into it, um, I think Bob Hieronymus did wear a Bigfoot suit for Roger Patterson. But not that suit, not Patty and not at that location, um, you know, because Roger was actually he was making he worked on a couple of different movies and documentaries uh, during his time. Uh, researching Bigfoot and yeah, he probably did uh, have that guy dress up. Now what his intentions were, I think he was just making, you know, like a, a boggy Creek style movie at the time and wanted the guy to run around in a Bigfoot suit. So he'd have some footage of a Bigfoot. Uh, but maybe he was, you know, maybe his, his initial uh, reason was to deceive. I don't know, but I, I think Patty's real. There's a lot of stuff that you look into, like look at her and how the furs worn down on the side where her arms swing that thigh uh, jiggle. Yeah. There's just, there's a lot, there's a lot of the definition and the muscles, you know, mm-hmm. you can see her muscles quake as she's, she hits the ground. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in that. And, you know, most people don't know they were out there for 20 days mm-hmm. before that happened. Like if you were going to fake a video, wouldn't you just go out there and maybe spend a night, get up the next day, film yeah. a video. Oh, look, we got it. Like that's a lot of effort and time to put into to something like that. I, I think the thing that always gets me, uh, and it took me years and years of seeing that video to notice it uh, until someone else pointed it out, but uh, Patty has breasts, and I've never seen a costume with breasts. That's that's I've uh, And I've looked, uh, which is a weird thing to say out loud on the air, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's those little things, though. It just made it, see, that video is among my favorites. I, I had to ask. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, what's funny too is the people that see that and then they think that there's one Bigfoot. Because I've had this question before: Isn't Bigfoot a woman? <laughs> so there's one Bigfoot, and it's Patty. <laughs> well, I mean, if that, if that's the best video evidence we have, and they're just going off of that, then I guess they're not wrong. Yeah, but I'm, you, you got to have a breeding population. Yeah, no, I, mean, I agree. I yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's true. But. Like, I can understand there only being one Loch Ness monster because the Loch Ness monster is obviously the ghost of a dinosaur. But like <laughs> Bigfoot, that's just a, that's just a wood ape. That's just a wood ape, and there should there's usually more than one ape. Yeah. In my in my experience, usually <laughs> your experience with apes. Yeah, even if Patty was the only one at the time. She came from somewhere, so there was right. more before her. Yeah. Now, I, I have to ask, I mean, in your estimation, having uh, ingested much more Bigfoot media than we have had a chance to yet, uh, what is the best evidence out there? Obviously, you have the Patterson-Gimmel film, the Sierra Sounds. Is there any hidden gems that you found that our listeners should look into? Uh, well, I can't point to one specific, like, video other than PG, uh, the PG film. I, I strongly suggest take a deep, deep dive into the PG film. Um, and look at both sides, both look at, you know, well, I think this is fake because, and I think this is real because, uh, Dr. Meldrum is probably the best, uh, to, to listen, talk about the, the PG film. Cause when I sat down one day and, and listened to Dr. Meldrum talk about the PG film and I was, I was pretty skeptical of the PG film, 
And uh, after walking away from listening to Dr. Meldrum's uh, talk, I was like, she's real. Like, yeah. you know, it, it was almost 100%, you know. Um, but just look at a lot of the different uh, tracks that have been cast, a lot of the similarities. Uh, listen to Dr. Meldrum talk about, like, the anatomical reasons why they're good casts. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good physical evidence out there that that people kind of gloss over. I think I want to say Cliff said something along the lines of like there's between him and Meldrum, there's probably like three or five hundred good track casts of big footprints. And okay, there's three or five hundred. Well, just think, guys, only one track cast has to be real. Just yep. one. Just one. We talk about something similar regarding most paranormal phenomena, for example. UFOs, there's uh, something like 50,000 reported every year, and you know that's going back at least into the 1950s, if not significantly far- further back. And like you said, only one of those needs to be an authentic UFO sighting for UFOs to be real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that is something a lot of people just prefer not to think about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous to think that, that you know, not every, not every flashing light in the sky is UFO. But not every, you know, UFO encounter is, is just a misidentification. Right. Right. You know, same thing with Bigfoot, yeah. you know, not, and that article came out recently that some, some scientists or some uh, statistician in, in England, I think had come up with that. Oh my gosh, look, all these Bigfoot uh, sightings take place in areas where black bears live. Therefore all Bigfoot sightings are misidentified black bears. There's I mean, a that's size like saying, difference there too, though. Yeah. Well, that's like saying all UFO encounters are drones. Right. Drones exist. Those are UFOs. Right. And obviously another uh, kind of correlation is not causation. Another thing that I, I always see resurfacing over and over again online is the overlap between the missing 411 cases from David Politis and the cave systems. So people immediately say, well, Bigfoot naturally must now we live in underground. That is the only possible explanation for this is like, well, there's a lot that could go in there and be involved that including people wandered into caves and didn't find a way back out how about from now on whenever someone uses math wrong to be a smug jerk we just we just make them go live on an ice float for like six months <laughs> that can't be your solution to everything it uh, i feel like it works if it's just like yo you can come back on solid land when you use statistics right and morally you think about what you said <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and then it's like how did he get off the ice float and it's just beans in the background of it's just like all he has to do all day is figure out how to get off that ice float <laughs> <laughs> all right so moving into our last couple questions here uh we wanted to talk a little bit about port chatham specifically uh, and i guess your ongoing relationship with it since you wrote the book does Port Chatham still called called you? Do you plan to return, or has that spell been broken? Uh, we actually were going to go back. Uh, we had kind of put our heads together, m- myself and Stephen Major, um, who uh, took us out there the first time. It was his company that sponsored the the expedition out there the first time we went back in 2018. So I, I like to throw that date out there because there's there's another show out there uh, that uh, claims they were the first to, to go in there and look for Bigfoot. But uh, sorry, mm-hmm. we we beat you guys. But uh, <laughs> we were going to we were actually going to go back in there and uh, we were in the planning stages and we were going to we were like, you know what? Because people kept saying, like, you need to spend more time there and you need to do this. You need to do that. And we're like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's uh, let's go in there and and like take more people and spend more time. 
and uh, Stephen uh, went and asked for permission uh, from the owners of the of the land to go. And uh, unfortunately, they had uh, given permission to someone else to go in there and film. And so that it was not to be. And as of right now, I don't have any current plans to go back there. But if the situation arises under the right circumstances, I would go back in a heartbeat. Now, one question I am curious about. So in your book, you go over uh, what you found about the history of the area, specifically how some of the legends about people being driven off by murderous Bigfoot might have been exaggerations or related. Or, and it might have been more related to, say, that fire, the economic downturn of the area. I guess in the face of that, what, I guess, motivates you to still believe in the Port Chatham mystery that there is something there? So... I don't want to go into, I don't want to uh, rant, but the problem with a lot of things today is it has to be this way or this way. Yeah. Yep. Dualistic thinking. Or this way. There's no like, maybe it's a little bit of both or maybe both sides have a good point. Yeah. No nuance. Has to be this way or that way. Uh, There either had to be a Bigfoot massacre or there's no Bigfoot at all. Right. You understand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got it. And the definitely, I mean, and why wouldn't, you know, the story of Port Chatham blow up? It's a great story. It's it's an amazing story. And it's got kind of, uh, it kind of ballooned out and got just almost uncontrollable. It's almost like a, a you know, a, a suburban legend now. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, there was a Bigfoot that ran all these people out of town. And in reality... You know, it's a little bit of both, okay? There were some strange disappearances there. There were some suspicious deaths there. There were Bigfoot sightings there. Mm-hmm. All that stuff happened. And, yeah, you know, the town was abandoned. But, you know, again, it's, you know, maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe it wasn't this way or this way. Right. Um, I, I think that, yeah, it's it's a good story. It got out there into the wild and it got, it just expanded to turn into this massacre story. And for some reason, people were, have to think, oh, well, either the massacre happened or there's no Bigfoot and it's all hooey. Now, I, I'm curious because I, I don't remember if uh, you addressed this in the book. Was it ever determined how that big fire that wiped out the cannery was started? Uh, you know, I, from what I understand, it was started uh, from a blacksmith's forge. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I we were uh, we were joking amongst ourselves that it was arsonist Bigfoot. That Bigfoot was that was the final move to push everyone out of town was burn it all down. Yeah, and there's there's a lot. It's hard to find, but there's a lot of information out there about the town, uh, about you know uh, records. But at the same time, this was all before statehood, right? And it is rural Alaska. I mean, you'd be surprised. Like you go into some of these villages and you're like, hey, I'm looking for this, and they're like. Well, you know, the roof, the snow load collapsed the the city building's roof and all those records were gone, you know, demolished. They, you know, they were destroyed. Uh, That kind of stuff happens a lot here. And then Mm -hmm. you're looking at how many years ago it was. It was before statehood, before a lot of mandatory reporting. uh, And a lot of people are like, where are the records? And it's like, you know, I don't know. There might be some records out there tucked in somebody's family Bible somewhere in a village. And maybe someday they'll see the light of day. But uh, right now we pretty much have to go on what little written record we have and, you know, the, the native oral history of the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that native oral history is fascinating. I, I have to admit, we all spent a little too much time talking about the Cyclops. 
<laughs> that was uh, one of the most fascinating, weird little stories I've ever found tucked into one of the books we've covered. I, I tell you what, it's it's and it, talking to the natives, it's pretty much 50 50. Some of them will tell you it's an evil place and you shouldn't go there. And some of them are like, nah, that place is just like any other place. It's just, you know, the woods. And it's it just it just kind of boils down to, you know, what they've been told and what they've experienced. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, moving into our final question, this should be an easy one. What's next for beans and where can people find your work? <laughs> well, um, what am I doing? That? Well, I'm going to be speaking at the Boreal Bigfoot Expo in Fairbanks, Alaska in June. I believe that's June 10th and 11th of this year. Uh, if you're going to be making a trip up to Alaska this year, uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, we're going to have some great speakers. Uh, we're going to have some great, uh, Dr. Meldrum's going to be there. He's going to tell us all about Bigfoot feet. Nice. Uh, there's going to be some uh, native representation there to talk about the native side of things and Bigfoot. Cool. Uh, uh, Jonathan uh, Redbird, I believe it's Redbird from the the Navajo Rangers is going to be there. It's going to be it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds and, like uh, it. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I'm one of the, the committee members, and and we're trying to get things organized and get it put together. It's going to be really special. I, I uh, so, I'll have to add that to the list of trips I'll take when my wife owes me one <laughs> and I can just make her come and endure my hobbies. Yeah. Everybody should check out Alaska at least once. I think, uh, it'll give you a, a whole new respect for the size of this country. People just really, they just, a lot of people just don't get it. Mm -hmm. It is massive. Absolutely. Um, but you can find me on my website, uh, alaskawatchpodcast.com. I've got the official Alaskwatch hat there. Nice. I like um, it. And uh, I put my podcast out, uh, I don't know, every so often. It's it's a free podcast. I don't I do not do a Patreon or anything like that. Uh, it's not it's not necessarily an uh, encounter-driven show, uh, although I do have uh, a few interviews with witnesses on there. Uh, a lot of times it's just me talking about, uh, you know, cryptid stuff in the great state of Alaska. Very, very cool. I'll have to check it out. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for giving us your time this evening. This was a lot of fun for us. We hope you had a good time as well. We know our listeners will as well. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for so much for having me. I love talking about Bigfoot and I love talking about Alaska. It's just two of my favorite things. I, I, I honestly do plan to go to Alaska now since Same. I read your book. So at the very least, you have added a whole new wing to my travel plans. <laughs> yeah. You should check it out. I mean, you've got to come up here and, and try and if you can try and get out and do some fishing, even if you're not like a big fisherman, at least go down to the river, some of the rivers during the salmon season and just watch. Yeah. It, it's pretty, it's pretty awe-inspiring. All right. Well, thank you very much. Give you back the rest of your evening. Uh, have a great night. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys.
Come, take a walk with us.